You are listening to the podcast of Called to Communion. More podcasts and other information can be found at www.calledtocommunion.com. Welcome, everyone, to Call to Communion and our podcast number 15. I am your host, Tom Riello, and joining us for this episode of Call to Communion podcast is Annie Witz. And Annie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Well, Annie, uh, let's get right into it. Would you open up a little bit talking about your background and where you came from? Well, I, uh, I've grown up, my whole, lived my whole life in Southern California, and my dad is an elder in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and I was raised in church, and my mother is a stay-at-home mom, and there were three girls, and I'm the middle. My dad is a professor of botany and ecology at a Protestant college. Well, now he's retired, but he was and is a very good, kind, loving father. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And if anyone knows me for five minutes, they know I think the world of my dad and my mother as well. We went to a Baptist-type, you know, non-denominational grammar school. So we were in Christian school. And, you know, every Sunday was you get up, you go to Sunday school, then you have your service, then you go back home. Everyone in who grows up Presbyterian seems to know this, where you have your Sunday lunch, you have a big lunch, then you take a nap, then you get up and you go right back to uh, evening service. You have your potlucks. It's, there's a lot that you do. It's not just church on Sunday and then you leave. And my dad is an elder. So he's on the session, so there's meetings, there's Bible studies, there's missionary talks. There's, you know, So your whole life is kind of around the church, even if you go to school. That's kind of a side note. But also in the OPC especially in Southern California, they were very big on their uh, family camp, their summer camp they had when I was young, and they would have a winter camp. So you get to know all the different kids in the denomination. And to this day, I'm friends with some of them. In fact, my best friend, best friend now, is a convert to the Eastern Orthodox Church, and she was in another congregation. But, you know, it's a very small group, obviously, and so it kind of consumes your whole social life. And also, as another side note, my uncle is a PCA minister, and for many years he was a missionary to Australia, and now he's retired. My dad's also on the board of Westminster West, and he was instrumental in bringing it to California. He was in the early stages. I remember being a small kid and these men would get together and they'd have these meetings and trying to get Westminster in California. And they back then they always called it Westminster West. Now they don't seem to call it that anymore, but that was what they did back then. And and now it's it's more of an independent school, even though it's still affiliated with the one back east. So I grew up in, in church. My parents are very active. And I remember growing up and having hearing all kinds of theological discussions within the reformed church there was my dad was more of a van til guy where you know they had um, in the 80s it was really big to discuss theonomy and so there was constantly butting heads between the greg bonson church and 
and then there were several other churches that were un- theonomist, and then the other ones who were not. And then the other big issue was arguing with the PCA, who they thought were more... At the time, PCA allowed Masons to be elders, and so this was supposedly the big deal why they weren't joined. And then later on, I think the PCA stopped that, and then it was more the PCA has more evangelistic or the PCA has you know, has more guitars, you know, OPC, there's no guitars. And so there's, so that, I remember these little arguments and these, and these issues and these circles. But at the time, I just thought that's just how it was. And that was the way it was. And that was, you kind of grow up in this and you just think that this is the norm. You don't know that there's another way. I mean, and church predominate, you know, it, it dominates your whole existence especially if you're an elder's kid because it's the same almost as being a pastor's kid mm. same pressure the same the same oh you have to measure up and then as a as a girl you know they want you to grow up and be the perfect little reformed woman and and it's hard to describe what that is but everyone I've talked to who's been reformed seems to know what I'm talking about so it's it's a the OP, there's a lot of pressure as a Calvinist. I remember being in high school, and I enjoyed theology, and I thought the men's conversations were usually more interesting than some of the women's. But I would, I, I, I would think about if God chooses some people, and I would, why didn't He choose my grandfather who didn't go to church? Why, why does He choose this guy who I know beats his wife? Where or, or he doesn't pick my grandfather. I remember my grandfather died when I was 12, mm. that this was something that I thought about. And, and you know, but you assume because your parents have taught you this and this is how you're being taught the Bible that this is all true. And so I remember, and then at some point I, I, got, to, I, I got to thinking about it, like, well, why didn't he just stop people from sinning? If he controls everything, why didn't he just prevent that? Why would he allow that? You know, and, and there's no place for free will, so there's no answer to it. And it just makes God seem to me he's the author of evil because of this. So it was something that is very heavy, and it was a burden, I thought. And now that I look back, I, it just seemed to me that I got to a point where I, I believed in God. I knew I had to obey him. I knew I had to pray. I knew I had to do this. But I didn't really like him, and I didn't really... I couldn't really say I loved him because of even though I was trying to do the right thing or follow along and repent when I did something wrong or that. But I, I got to a point where he he was someone I kind of, I kind of wanted to push away because mm. I thought that was so, it was kind of traumatic, I think. Now that I look back, it was, it was more traumatic than I thought and, and, but I, I thought, am, am I the only one thinking this? I mean, no one else seems to have this problem. Not these wise ministers and these, you know, these elders, my dad, my mother. It's that they just kept saying, it's biblical, it's biblical, it's biblical. And they'd show you a verse and you'd think, well, I guess he's right. So <laughs> you think you have to adjust. I mean, you think the problem may be you. You don't do enough of the devotions or you don't read the Bible enough or you know, you have an attitude problem. And the one thing that they were really big on in my, the church I was growing up was they always were talking about people who were rebellious. You know, if you did anything wrong and as a child or whatever, you were rebellious, rebellious. 
and and so I thought maybe I was just rebellious. That was my problem for even thinking this stuff. But that's uh but interestingly enough that's really not what led me to the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you had these questions they they lingered. I'm assuming they didn't just sort of go away. What led you down the road, if you will, as you said, you know, it, it, these things did not in and of itself lead you to the Catholic Church. What was it? What was the process that got you thinking in another direction or, or moving in that other direction? What what transpired in your life that led you down that path? Well, there were a couple things. I, I, I went to a Lutheran church in college. I started going to one. It was close. I didn't have a car. And the only other OPC church in town was a, uh, was a theonomic church, and I didn't want to go there. So I went to this conservative Lutheran church, and the pastor started showing, like, oh, this is John 6, and he, I, I'd never read John 6. For some reason, I'd never read John 6. And so I looked at it, and I thought I, I had some questions about sacraments, and the Lutherans were showing in the Bible about baptismal regeneration and and so that that seemed to me problematic and I thought and I did like the liturgy and so I I always kind of wanted liturgy in the back of my head but I never had seen liturgy I, especially during Christmas I would you know you hear these beautiful choirs you know on recordings and and the songs and it just seemed they should be in some type of a beautiful cathedral but I, I saw through the Lutheran perspective, it, they believe in the consubstantiation, so it's not quite transubstantiation. It's, it's somewhere in the middle. But I thought, well, maybe this is it. And so eventually I became a Lutheran. Uh, but on my head, I think in my head I was still Reformed mm-hmm. in, some, in the Calvinist way with the five points. But then I went to, it was one day that I went to, Catalina Island for the day with some uh, Mormon friends and I was the one non-Mormon in the group and they were you know all let's all try and get her to take the discussions and become a Mormon and I they were kind of driving me nuts and I thought well the only place they're really not going to follow me into is either a bar or a Catholic church and so I it thought maybe the bar is not the best idea with all those Mormons around. So I walked over to this St. Catherine of Alexandria church on Catalina Island. And it's it's a nice church. It's not the most beautiful church in Christendom. But I went in, and I just sat there for a few minutes, and I went to the back. I said, oh, let's see what type of propaganda these people are giving out. And so I went to the back, and there's a big row where all the papers or tracks or whatever would go. And there was only one in the whole thing. And it says, which came first, the church or the Bible? And I took it and I read it and it made a lot of sense in this little track. And I called up my dad and I said, Dad, I said I saw this. And I said, what, what's the answer? And he says, well, obviously, he says, the church did. And I said, well, really? And so he said, yes. He says, but, you know, and then he gave the typical Protestant line. And we knew what the books were going to be in the Bible. And, you know, they closed it up. They just, you know, the typical standard Protestant answer. And so a few months later, I went to 
uh, Denny's midnight with some a friend of mine who was OPC, who's an ex-Catholic, and another guy who was a continuing Anglican who used to be uh, a Calvinist. And so we go to the it's Denny's, it's midnight, and we start arguing about you know this and that theologically, and he says. And I'm giving him the Sola Scriptura thing, and he's saying, he says, well, what gives you the right to interpret Scripture? And I said, well, I'm me. I can do that. You know, and, then I, and I knew it was not a good answer, but I, I gave him the standard, typical, you can't trust men, you can't, you know, it's the Bible, that's the Word of God, you know. And so, I, you know, I gave the typical answer, and I went later, and I asked my Dad, I said, okay, I talked to this guy, and I said, here's exactly what I said. I said, where did I go wrong? What am I missing? Because I knew I was missing something. And he said, my dad said, no. He says, you didn't miss anything. I said, no, Dad, I know I missed something. And he says, no. And so I asked my uncle, who's a PCA minister, same thing. I I went to the the Lutheran minister of the, the church I was going to, same thing. And I... I thought, okay, well, that's a little problematic. So I thought maybe I'd better read some things because when I wanted to know what the bigger problems with Mormonism, what the, their problems were with Mormonism, I, I read their own materials, and it was quite clear. So I thought, well, I'll just do that with Catholicism and Orthodoxy. And I said, I'll just look at that, and then I'll figure out the problem, and then I can put this question to rest, and I can move on and be happy so being a protestant Mm -hmm. so i went to i started i i I didn't know where really to look and um i went to this place and it's saint joseph radio and it's in orange and they do a broadcast on satellite uh, mother angelica satellite station and so they had a it was right near where i was living at the time and i looked they had a live. someone told me that they had a lending library that you could, and so I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. So I started going there, and I I went to get some books, and I met this guy, and his name is Peter, and Peter and started talking to me, and Peter is a cradle Catholic, comes from eight kids. Um, his father was a doctor who'd never prescribed birth control. He was a daily masser. You know, I mean, I I, I could. This was totally now that I'm Catholic from God. So I, I, he and I started this long-running debate. So I would read something, and I think I'd had him on something, and he would say, you know, I don't know, let me check. He'd look it up, he'd come back, and he, the two of us, it was this long-running debate. And whenever we saw each other, we just picked it up from the last time. So Peter and I, sometimes he would, he said, let me take you to Mass one day. It was a daily Mass, and, and I went to Mass. And I just, you could... I felt like something was different, and something I, I knew it was different. Because I went to my Lutheran church, I, I seemed like I had to believe, like enough. I had to put the effort in for me to feel like it was really the body and blood of Christ. And then I, but I went to this mass, and it seemed to be the other way around. And so that was kind of you know upsetting to a good solid Protestant. And so I went to. Peter, Peter and I would go after that. He took me to this Jewish deli, and we sat there for like three hours with our Bibles going back and forth. But it really impressed me when I could see Peter, 
who is a Catholic could open up a Bible and look at the book of John without having to look at the table of contents because I was always told Catholics really didn't read the Bible. So, But at the, around the same time, they gave me the book uh, by Scott Hahn, and I read about that, and I thought, I, it's just, to to the person, you know, that's become a Catholic who's been Reformed or Protestant, and they read about a Protestant minister that be, became a Catholic, it's very shocking. Mm-hmm. It's unnerving, almost. Yes, and and it's like, well, and then, you know, when I first read it, I thought, well, let me, he probably did something wrong that made him want that. And he didn't. <laughs> So, you know, and then I read, someone gave me uh, Surprised by Truth by Patrick Madrid, and that was very, very um, scary as well because it, it was a, a lot of different people. And so I, so this just went on, and finally um, I was having, I was feeling this real pull to the Catholic Church. I, a friend of mine had taken me up to a monastery, and a Benedictine monastery, and I would go into the liturgy, and I would feel like this nice invitation to join the early church. And I, I felt like this nice invitation. And I'm not a very mystical person. I'm I'm not one that hears the Lord talking to him, you know, or anything. I'm not that person. Mm-hmm. But I felt like this gentle invitation. And I thought, no, that can't be, that can't be. But later on... Um, because I knew it had to be in my head, too. I knew I had to see it in the Bible. I knew I was a student of Sola Scriptura. I knew it had to be the truth. And I also knew that when I was a kid, my father always told me, if I tell you to do something that's against the Bible, you need to do what the Bible says, no matter what I say. And I I knew that if I did, if the Catholicism was true, then I had to become a Catholic. And it didn't matter what anyone thought. Because I kept a lot of my uh, search hidden from my family and and the people who knew me, except for a few people. And I I went to this monastery, and that's where I really felt this pull. And the monks were gracious. I got to know one of them, who's now a priest in Italy, and he said told the story of my my best friend, who's now Eastern Orthodox. We went up to to Compline and they sing in Latin the Salve Regina well, we didn't know what it was <laughs> so we were in the congregation we just sang along and uh, uh, Father Anselmo said he was looking at us and he says all of a sudden he says he sees that we both looked at the translation and he says he could see our our jaws dropping and lo- us looking at each other, f- realizing we'd just been singing praise to Mary. So he said he said he had he was laughing. He said it was kind of funny. But after after I got you know, I'd come home and I think maybe maybe I imagined it. Maybe I imagined that, and maybe I, I that was just an emotional experience because emotional experiences don't mean anything mm-hmm. in reformed theology. And so I remember I I was found out someone called me an ex-Catholic friend who was OPC and he told me we'd gotten in several arguments and you start defending things the Catholic Church says even though you say well I don't agree with that but here's what they say. And and so we got in this discussion once this friend of mine and he says 
he said two things. He, first, he challenged me on uh, the, the graven images. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you can't do that. That's not right. He says, you know, the Bible condemns it. It says so. And, you know, he was using this typical argument. And I had no idea how to respond to him. And this is the only time when I think I have spoken in tongues because all of a sudden I said to him, you know, Nick, I said, God can't violate his own law. And if his interpre- your interpretation of it is correct, then God violated his own law by building the images on the Ark of the Covenant. And he didn't say anything. And and I, I, I thought to myself, I, 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 I was shocked because I did not know this. And so I, that was a real big thing because to, to Protestants. And so that kind of blew that whole picture and statue thing out of the water for me. I never had a problem with that after that. But my, I remember the other thing he challenged me, he says, he says, you're, if you're a Lutheran, he says, why don't you just go ahead and believe the whole thing and become a Catholic and believe in transubstantiation? And I thought, I was like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. But later it did. But he said to me, so he, we got in this argument. But later on he called me, he says, he says, there's going to be a debate in about three or four months, and it's going to be in Pasadena, and he says, it's going to be Michael Horton, Dr. Uh, Rod Rosenblatt from Concordia, and Dr. Godfrey, who's the president of Westminster Seminary. If I could just interject for a second, what I find interesting is he's telling you, well, if you're going to be a Lutheran, you might as well go the whole way. And yet, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt is a pretty faithful Lutheran. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he is. The, the ironies here, Annie, the ironies. <laughs> and later I did meet him and he at some Bible study someone wanted me to go to, and he was most... He gave me this very odd look when I told him that I had become a Catholic after that debate. But um, he, we went. I prayed for months until this. I mean, I prayed every day that I would be proven wrong. I knew if anything, one could that all my questions would be answered. I could just go back to being a Protestant, and and then that would be it. I was, you know, I. You don't want to hurt your parents. I was 23 at the time. My, I, I, I adore my parents. They've been through a lot of tough things in their life, and you know I didn't want to add to their problems. And so, I, and 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 the embarrassment. Your daughter becomes a Catholic. How embarrassing for them. Yeah. And I, I don't. I've never discredited that. And I've, and I've never asked them to change their beliefs just to please me. Um, I. I accept them for who they are. And so I told, I, I prayed and I prayed. I even invited my dad to go. And he, he's like, oh, no, I've got something to do or whatever. And so I went up to this debate, and it was a pretty big debate. Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena is a is one of those mega churches. I don't know how many people there, but there was at least a 1,000 people. And Dr. Godfrey was the first introduction, uh, the first guy to speak, and he gave the talk about, uh, he started off on Sola Scriptura, because the first night it was Sola Scriptura, and then the second night, it, or the second day it was Sola Fide. And on the Catholic team there was, Pat Madrid was the the leader of it, and then there's a Dr. William Marshner mm-hmm. from, uh, I think he's at Christendom, I, uh, he was at the time, and he's a convert from Lutheranism. And then uh, Bob Sengenis, who I think was OPC or PCA. And so I went and I, 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 we got to the church. I went with my Catholic friends. 
I got up uh, to get something, and I came back to our pew, and my friend Peter had invited a priest and two Carmelite nuns who are habited from head to toe to sit in our row. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, dear, because my dad's friends, my parents' friends were there. And I, they would, a couple of them walked in, and they see me, they look and see me, and then they look and see me sitting with this priest and these two nuns. And you could tell they took a double take. And so, and by the next day, someone had called them and told them, because then that kind of, you know, that was the Did you want to sort of hide when you uh, saw the... Yes. <laughs> yes, I wanted to hide. I, I, I couldn't believe... I thought, well, I could go with these Catholic friends, but none of these other people know them. But um, then I, I I remember, though, five minutes into Dr. Godfrey's opening talks. And Dr. Godfrey's a brilliant man. And he's a very nice person. He's And he's got a Ph.D. from Stanford. I mean, he's he's extremely smart mm-hmm. and so i i'm sitting i'm sitting there and, fi- and in my head i'm re- i mean his i'm arguing with him in his talk in my head and i i finally five minutes into it i knew i could i could never be a protestant again it was over and then you get the sick you know the sickening thought of oh no how am i going to do this how am I gonna? Th- how am I gonna take care of this? How am I going to tell my parents? How am I going to, you know, tell my f- some of my friends? How? What am I gonna do? And I, you know, I, I, it's crushing. I mean, we all know we've all been there who left Protestantism, and you kind of have a dread. And so I then, I after that, that whole debate, it was just. And then, of course, you have the debates after, you know, when everyone goes to get coffee mm-hmm. or argues in the parking lot and whatever. But afterwards, um, someone introduced me to Patrick Madrid. And um, the first thing I said to him, I just said, I can't stay Protestant anymore. And from then on, <laughs> you know, and there has been several other conversions I've been told from that debate. And, and he still sells it on his website. And people are constantly telling me, oh, yeah, I listened to that debate, or, you know, I bought those CDs, or, you know, it was a real powerful debate, I thought, and I, uh, after that, we had, we, I I knew it was over, and so I, I looked at Eastern Orthodoxy, but I couldn't see the divisions, and I, I I saw Peter in, in the early church fathers, and I saw the I, I, the church has to be one, and I didn't see it really with with what goes on. Although I have great respect for them, and I'm, you know, my two best friends are both Eastern Orthodox, and it I have no disrespect to them. But I I put I finally decided that this is what I had to do. But my the next uh, my dad finally figured it out when someone called him and said I'd been sitting with a priest and two nuns at the debate, and you know they they try to talk me out of it they introduced me to you know ex catholic ex catholic at their church and who and she didn't know anything about what her church taught yeah. you know it was it was the typical well you know i i found that the bible doesn't believe or and it does doesn't say this that or the other thing and and I, and i would i responded to her i said well what about this verse what about that and what about what this father says? And she, you know, she and then she, 
it was a very it's very sad because she went and talked to some bishop that she said she knew and he didn't give her any of these answers. And 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 I I understand I don't I don't hold anything, you know, against her for anything, but and I pray some I still pray for this woman that she'll come back. But I got that, I got the 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 letters, you know, I at first they were nice, you know, we're praying for you, you know. We're we're looking out for you, you know. Look at the Bible, look at the Bible, look at the Bible and that was the problem. I looked at the Bible. Yeah. And so then I went to I finally started taking classes from uh a father uh, Johnson who was in Huntington Beach and who since passed away. Um but he was an old school Jesuit and he left the Jesuits when they kind of lost their way. Mm-hmm. And he was he was so traditional, they stuck him in this little tiny parish and he would go door to door every on all his days off to invite people to come back to mass. He did talk he did his lessons with me because I couldn't make the the main course that he had for the converts. Because he brought in converts three times a year, he didn't do strict RCIA. He did um, his own thing with the permission of the bishop, and he gave me instruction. And around around the same time, I remember then, as I it was pretty clear that that's really what I was going to do. And then I got the letters that were nasty, and the nasty calls. And the I remember I got one from the pastor's wife of my parents' church that said. You know, you might as well just stab a knife in your parents' heart and twist it all around. And I just thought, you know, that is, first of all, you don't know me if you think that I enjoy hurting my parents. That's just disgusting. And and very uncharitable to say something that horrible. Oh, that's pretty, yeah, that, that is pretty low. <laughs> yeah, and that, it was terrible. And, and she said, she she was telling me, oh, I'm hurting my special dad. Well, I knew that, and it hurt me. It hurt me to hurt him, and my mother, too. And my mother's had a lot of tragedy in her life, and I just, I hated to add to it. But then my, you know, I finally, it was a few weeks before, um, and I was supposed to be received, and the the pastor called me, and he was saying, well, if you do this, he's like, would you? Ha- well, when you figure out it's wrong, will you have the courage to leave? And I thought, I said, I don't think it's wrong, but if I knew it was wrong, I said I wouldn't do it. And another, and then the other thing, I fi- I got a phone call from Doctor Godfrey himself because my dad's friends with him, and he invited me to come down and talk to him. Well, I, I was, I'm 23, or about, or about no, I just turned 24. I was scared out of my mind. I'm. And so I invited a friend who is an apologist, uh, Tim Staples. I said, why don't you just come with me? And he went, and he was actually quiet, and I did the talking. But it's, but he gave me the standard, Dr. Godwin gave me the standard, uh, you know, lines about, well, the Catholic Church is divided up too. They, your Cardinal Ratzinger went to a, uh, conference, conference, and he got booed by Catholic theologians. I'm like, what does that prove? That proves nothing. You know that that doesn't prove anything. Anyone can claim that they're a Catholic theologian, or you know that, they're, but they're not speaking for the church. 
And so my, oh, that was, he, but then he goes and says after to my parents, he says that I didn't talk at all and Tim did all the talking, which was just not true. And at least say, well, she's, you know, at least tell the truth. And so after that, it was two weeks later, and I was received in the church on uh, August 5th in, in 1994. And my friend Peter, who I originally met and had all the arguments with, was my sponsor. Amazing. Well, uh, you know, Annie, a uh, question that I, that I would like to ask is, you know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, the role of the woman in, in say, your, your OPC background and, and the traditional reform background. Was there anything as you were discovering the Catholic faith, for example, the role of Mary or, or something that, because, you know, a lot of times we have to deal with, you know, as Catholics that, you know, the church is anti-woman, and, and which is mind-boggling to anybody who knows just a little bit about, you know, yes. the, you know the great woman saints and, you know, uh, in history and, and, you know, and the St. Teresa of Avila and St. Uh, Therese of Lisieux and so on. But was there anything uh, for you as you were moving into the church or as, uh, even as you have come into the church that you find as a, as a woman that you have your place in the church? Yes, that's uh, something that is very important to me because I always gr- grew up with this idea that pretty much the only way you can serve the Lord or do what, you know, what he wants is for you to get married and have children. And and I'm certainly not against that. I've I'm married and I have children, but there's no, you know, there's no woman ideal. There's no woman, women with different, you know, personalities. There's no, there's they would talk badly or like, oh, poor so and so, she's not married or you know, that kind of thing. And there's. There's nothing, there's no choices for women. And I, I, that always bothered me. Or when they would laugh if a girl said, oh, I want to be a lawyer, or I want to be, you know, something other than a mother. They would laugh at them. And I always found that very disturbing. And my parent, my dad didn't take that view. He encouraged college and having a career and having some, you know, don't get married too young, which is very, you know, counter to what a lot of uh, Protestants say, but he he was different. He taught college. When I became a Catholic and I had the, I learned about the the Mother of God and this title and and I, I read you know in the Council of Ephesus and 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 the attack like if if you attack Mary you're attacking the incarnation, and and this has been such a big relief to me because there's this other there's this female portion there's this ideal woman there's this this woman to look up to you can talk to and when i i had some trouble i had lost several pregnancies early on in my marriage and 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 i could only pray to mary and that was it you know it's very it's very nice to know i thought what would i do if i were a protestant and i didn't have mary I would I would be a very bitter person, and I I think there's this there's this role that Mary shows that we have this ideal we have this this uh, perfect person who has done what she's supposed to but loves and cares about all of us no matter what we've done, and that was pretty powerful and she's so tied in with the incarnation of her son 
that you can't separate them. And I, I the other thing, as far as the female Catholic is concerned, is that the Catholic Church gives women choices. The Catholic Church, when you get married, wants the woman to come freely. The Catholic Church uh, requires that to make a valid marriage. The Catholic Church has women saints who are of all different walks of life, married, unmarried, martyrs, heroic life, all of them. They're, they're different personalities. You know, if you're not the quiet, you know, sweet St. Teresa of Lisieux, you've got St. Teresa of Avila, who was not so quiet and not so sweet. And how about that St. Catherine of Siena? <laughs> Catherine of Siena, <laughs> yes, who's my patron. Yeah, she had no problem telling the popes every now and then what they needed to do. I thought that was brilliant that they canonized her. <laughs> but she could do this, and she's got a mind, and the Catholic Church respects the woman's mind. And the Catholic Church gives women choices. You don't have – you can become a sister. And, and the sisters have – I mean, they were running things, hospitals, schools, you know, anything, orphanages. They, they ran things. They had power. They had clout. And this, this idea that the Catholic Church doesn't love women is just ridiculous. And and I just because they're not priests, what does that mean? Men aren't the Theotokos. So this this has always perplexed me as one of those modern day silly things that women want to get angry about, or or men too. I mean, some of the men want women to be priests as well. Yeah. But I think you really have to look at within Reformed theology, and Reformed theology does not have a place for women. And and. I think we can all tell see that in some of the practice of how how their faith is lived out, and you know I had a, I wifely submission was the one thing that I remember just it came up in sermons after sermon after sermon, and I, all my friends from growing up all make jokes about it to this day, so it wasn't just me that heard it; it was a they heard it as well. You know, quick question: You mentioned you heard that you know and. In- many sermons did you ever hear a sermon on you know mary as a model of discipleship mary as a model believer never never i heard i heard there was never anything about women about there was always you you couldn't talk too much about mary because then you might look catholic you barely you just glossed over her she would make an appearance uh during Christmas christmas and then Sort of get tucked away into the into the attic and then brought back out the following yes, year. Yes, that's Mary. You know, it is interesting because you know when, when we look at as you mentioned, you know, the Mother of God, the Theotokos. You know, we see in her life in in in, in the scriptures such a beautiful picture of what the life of discipleship is. I mean, here she is. She she gets uh, the visitation from 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 the, the angel, the 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 Annunciation. And she says, you know, be it done unto me according to thy word. I mean, every every believer, you know, be it done unto me according to thy word. You know, we, we want to do what God's will is. She she then takes the living word within her womb, and she visits her cousin Elizabeth. And, you know, here's the, one of the, my favorite uh, imageries there is, when does the baby, John the Baptist, leap? at the sound of Mary's voice. And so there's a, there's a beautiful way of saying Mary heralds Jesus to the one who would herald Christ in his adulthood. So Mary is the one who introduces Jesus to John the Baptist. 
You know, and then, of course, her last words, do whatever he tells you. What a beautiful picture of discipleship. And, you know, in speaking of that, you know, have you found any of the, the you know, the Marian aspects, the rosary and so on, the seven sorrows, uh, to be a part of your, your, your spiritual life? Well, I um, and go to an Eastern Catholic church, and so we have, you know, the Marian devotion slightly different, uh, although I think it ultimately is, means the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, I, I think for me, coming across her coming in and being the mother of God, and and is is so powerful. And I, I would have to say, you know. We I do the a lot of the Eastern Hail Marys. It's Rejoice, O Virgin, Theotokos, Mary, full of grace. And so I've taught my children that, and and I say that prayer every day with them. And there's a a thing that you do during during Lent called the Akathist, and it's this beautiful hymn to Mary in the East. And if anyone's interested, they should really print it out and and pray it. It's 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 very powerful. And those that type of because it really focuses on her, and it, and it, it's but also it, it's so great because as you said, it just points right back to her son. Mm-hmm. And so it, the the Marian devotion of the East really spoke to me in a way that, and it was good for me. I have been to France, and I've made pilgrimages to Chartres, and I've made a pilgrimage. We've my husband and I went to the Miraculous Medal where Saint Catherine Labre was there, and we. You you can feel a, a difference in that little church where Mary appeared to St. Catherine. And, and, and being there, lighting a candle, bringing her my request, you know, dedicating my children to her, you know, has been, has been um, you know, it's, it's been life-changing. This Mary, this person we were taught to ignore or, you know, Put under the you know brush under the carpet is is just is this person that's just so explains her son and so I've I really try I like to light my candles with the icon you know in the, in the Eastern Church we have the icons we have lots of candles and and I try to even from my time my kids were little have them kiss if there's a statue of Mary a picture whatever um, kiss it and and learn to love her. Like you would love somebody else, and and put a physical aspect to it. So that's really been my experience with Mary, and and just talking to Mary like you would talk to God is very, you know, you're driving the car, you're taking the kids to school, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's been, I I think it's been fan, uh, phenomenal, and really getting to know her son as well, that um. You, you, the, the Protestants always think that you're taking away from Christ, and and no, if, if everyone I know says no, it brings you closer to Him. In our experience now as a Catholic, you can see that that's how it is. Yeah. But I think that you know, for every person, no matter you know, they find the Catholic Church is brilliant because what you know, someone really likes the Rosary and it helps them. Someone else, Eastern Catholic, we like the Akathist or you know something else. It's, the Catholic Church is brilliant because it allows for all these differences in what what helps some person better than the other. Where it's all it's all good. It's just different. 
You know, you make a great point there. I mean, uh, to those on the outside, uh, they're really not sure what to make of the church. But when you come on the inside, you do realize, you know, I had a priest friend of mine who once said, he said, you know, he said, Tom, if if I did all the devotions that all the sweet little old ladies want me to do, that's all I would do, devotions all day. Um, (laughs) There's so, you know, there is, it, it really is. You know, the, the one author, I think it was James Joyce, you know, the Catholic Church is Here Comes Everybody. And uh, there is a home for everybody in the church. You mentioned before about how, you, you know, your pastor had, had said, you know, well, you know, when you realize that you were wrong or so on, you know, will you have the courage to, to admit you were wrong and come back? Well, to me, that would just seem, you know, clearly to me, and I think anybody listening, your move in the direction was something that... It, wasn't something you saw it was something that found you and you had the courage t- to follow that now my question to you is this there there will, will probably be pe- people listening to this who are in a difficult spot right now what could you tell them uh, as you were going through this what what could you tell them now 16 years after the fact to take that next step what could they do how could they approach this well i think my in my experience, I was younger, but I I was always taught you follow what the Lord wants. The Lord wants you, you know, you obey whatever He says. And I I felt like I always knew. Well, I always knew that I would do what the Lord wanted, but I just didn't realize it was going in that direction. <laughs> and I think that if the person's listening to this, or he's or she is you know, scared, it's, I've got to tell my family, I've got to tell my friends, I've got to, you know, I would pray, Lord, I don't even know what to say, I don't know, I'm scared, and, and I, I would lay that on the line, and, and, and I also realize that truth, the truth sets you free, the Bible says this, and, and the truth does set you free, because when you finally take that step, and you receive the Lord in Holy Communion, and you are chrismated and confirmed into the church if you've never been baptized, you know, whatever. You're going to, the sacraments give you the strength to go on, no matter what your obstacle is. And if, and confession, another, another powerful sacrament. And realize that when Christ made those sacraments, he didn't do it for him. He did it for you. And when you are able to finally take the Lord in, and and its illumination and the and the strength you will get from the saints and the sacraments allow you to do the right thing. And as scary as it is, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And even if things don't go the way you want, or maybe maybe you will lose a family member or a friend, but the God is a God of love, and in the Eastern liturgy, we always say, "For He is gracious and loves mankind," and He He has love. He's He's not the Calvinist God. He's not that God. He's a loving God, and He will see you through. And He also provides you with angels, saints, and sacraments. And you will find that in your darkest hour, that will get you through no matter how bad things are. I remember my first Christmas as a Catholic. My my mother my mother and 
father were so distant, and my mother could barely talk to me. And it wasn't a mean thing. It's just she didn't probably want to say anything ugly or mean. And and it was a terrible Christmas. I, I volunteered to work because I, I just I didn't want to be around it. But, and then, of course, it's a holy day of obligation, you know, this new thing that when you become a Catholic. And I went to Mass, and I got to, I sat there. It was depressing. And I sat, all of a sudden I realized every year I love Christmas and I love all those songs. And I'm finally actually taking the Christ child in my mouth when the priest puts it on my tongue. And, and it changed the whole feeling of the holiday. So I would consider those, those things because it does get better. And, and God will give you the strength as, as many times as you've probably heard that. It's actually true. Well, Annie, it has been an absolute privilege to hear your story and, and to hear the path that you traveled. Uh, thank you for joining us on Call to Communion. Thank you. You know, you heard Annie's story. She gave up a lot. She gave up the comforts of keeping her family, her mom and her dad, their approval. You could tell in her voice that they are very important to her. She loves them. She cares for them. But there was something, rather, no, I should say, there was someone, there was another, that she just knew, out of obedience, she had to follow. And she took that step. Because, as she just told us, when you receive Christ in the Eucharist, you are receiving not just a symbol, oh, you know, we can say, well, we don't believe it's just a symbol, it's it's a really, really special symbol, it's... There's, there's some type of real presence here, whatever. Well, at the end of the day, it's really only in the church that in receiving the Eucharist, Christ says to you, I love you so much that I don't give you a token of myself. I don't give you a symbol of myself. I give you myself, entire body, blood, soul, and divinity. If you're listening to this show, I want you to think, perhaps this is true. Maybe you think it's too stupendous. There's no way this could be. There's no way what appears to be bread could possibly be the living God made flesh. But I ask you this. Leave to the side your objections for a second. Wouldn't you want that to be true? Wouldn't you desire that to be true? God comes to you and says, I give you myself. Brothers and sisters, Listen to her story. Take that step. Don't be afraid. As the late John Paul II told us so often, do not be afraid. Open wide your arms to Christ. Join us again next time on Call to Communion. Thanks and God bless. This has been a Called to Communion podcast. Visit us on the web at www.calledtocommunion.com.